Ladies and gentlemen, um, good evening and welcome. Obviously, you've, these two, Emery and Sosha, you've been watching and admiring for the last four hours. But let me also... Oh, let us introduce John Crowley, the director, Nick Hornby, the writer. So Nick, Nick Hornby, the writer, and come to be the original writer of the novel. And Fanola Dwyer, producer, on the end there. I'm going to start very quickly between you two because I had considered when I read your novel, Colm, that it could not be made into a film because I thought it was such an interior, quiet thing. And yet, obviously, Fenola had other ideas and the two of you worked, Nick then worked on it. I mean, had you thought at any stage that it might be? I know other books of yours have been made into films. Uh, no, the, uh, the two of us didn't work on it. Nick worked on it, and we didn't... Um, I mean, I didn't even have an email for you or a phone number. <laughs> you know, in other words... Yeah. That's the I, way I like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In other words, that, um, that, that it was... Um, I mean, I wanted Nick to do it, um, and um, he worked on it, and I didn't see it until, I think, a second draft had been written, and then there were just two very tiny things <laughs> about Irish usage. One of them was that in, in Ireland... We just don't say mummy. Mummy. We just couldn't say it. It's mammy. Mammy. And uh, I just said this to Nick one day in the Charlotte Street Hotel. You know, we say mammy. We say mummy. And uh, we uh, rashers of bacon. We say rashers, not bacon. And thank you very much for your script. Everything else in it is perfect. I, mean, I, just nothing else, I have nothing else to say other than thank you very much. But, but I think if you're working on a novel, I, I wonder if you agree with me. If you're working on a novel and you start thinking about a film... That's a big mistake. You've got to work on the next sentence. And the more interior you get, in a way, the more you can give someone who's going to write a screenplay where you go inwards and you give the character a sort of depth that then somebody can work into dialogue or into sort of moments, visual, that John can work with. But if you, as the writer, as the novelist, start thinking outside your own comfort zone, you get things very wrong. And you would notice it. In a, by a, a paragraph later, you would notice it. And very soon, your publisher would say, could you give it up? Like, Hollywood is a small village in County Down for you in Ireland. It's not coming your way. Like, you're, you're, you're losing both your, your, your original set of tricks without learning any new ones. So I, I, do you, isn't that the same if you're, writing an, if you're writing an actual novel rather than a screenplay? Yes, and, and, and also, I don't know about you, but I cannot imagine actors playing the parts of my characters because by definition um, actors are more beautiful than the rest of us and um, and my <laughs> speak for yourself right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean we, we got a couple of bum ones with these but, um, uh, if all had gone well we would have had two very attractive people in here and um, I'm writing about you know, ordinary people, the kind of people that I know, and you know if a movie is made, that lead actors are very good-looking, and everyone else is a character actor, and, and that on its own is enough to stop me thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the first time, isn't it, that you've actually played an Irish character as a yeah. lead role? Yeah, it was, it was the first time. I had used an Irish accent in another film, but... The film was set in, in a make-believe kind of Wes Anderson world, so it doesn't really count. But, um, yeah, this is the first time, and it was very, very important for me to find the right character and, and the right um, first Irish project for me to do. And 
Uh, it was interesting with this because I had read Colm's book, which has never happened to me before with um, any adaption that I've been involved in. I had read the book a few years before the film was even kind of floating around. And, um, and then John came along and I had read the script and we at that time I was thinking about moving away I was thinking about moving over here and he had made that trip you know 15 plus years before um, and so that was on my mind and then from the time I signed on to when we actually made the film I had made that journey and I, I really felt like when it actually came to us making it the connection and, and what it meant to me was uh, was so much greater you know um, it just kind of grew and grew. Even after we made the film, it started to mean more and more as we went on. And John, for, for you as a director, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's an Irish story and it's an American story, more we'll come to that in a second. But the presentation of that kind of small town life, but it's going to be presented internationally to a, a wider audience. I mean, is that a consideration? Uh, you mean trying to make it universal? Yeah. Well, no, I think it's the, you know, the, the, the more specific it is, the greater the chance you have of it reaching, you know. And, um, uh, you know, but that said, I, I absolutely knew that, that I, I didn't want to open it with, you know, a classic nice big wide shot of a sleepy town with the Ellen Pipes playing over it. And sort of, you know, that there's this sort of shorthand that, that you can sometimes get in rural Irish um, films, which... Uh, makes it sort of suggests it's this kind of film, and I instead wanted it to sort of open almost artlessly. Just the door opens, she comes out, she walks down the road, and it just felt like if we could just follow her instantly, that the as she developed, the style of the film would develop, and the color palette opens up, and the style of actually that the, the camera begins to get a little bit more elegant and a little bit more sophisticated as she does, and it, and it would sort of unfurl in that way with her. Um, uh, so to, to just try and stay as close aesthetically to her personality as we could. And, of course, it's, it's the tale of a number of immigrant communities because your character, Emery, is um, Italian-American. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that sense of, um, of sort of the mixing of, of the, the community that's been there for a while and with the incomer coming along. Was, you, was that sort of something that... I mean, Italian-Americans obviously have been portrayed... They're a kind of staple of American cinema. Yeah, yeah. So, so what are the things you watch for there? Um... Well, I mean, the first thing I did is I watched a film called The Bicycle Thieves, which is an Italian film. I read a book called The Journey of the Italians to America. And then also for me, a sort of more personal way in was I was the only American and the only New Yorker on a film called Brooklyn. <laughs> and so, so as a New Yorker and a fourth-generation New Yorker, I felt like I had to represent, you know? <laughs> but what's interesting is Tony goes through the same thing where he feels like he wants to invite Ailish into a world of New York, a world that is now his world, and sh- show her that it can be home as well. So I kind of linked those two different... The, the Tony side of it and the me side of it up to understand that better. Fenona, um, is it financing challenge if you have a female lead? I think uh, when I first read the novel and absolutely loved it, I had those same thoughts about is it too internal, how do you dramatise it? And, but I, I was so affected by the novel and it was my mother went from Ireland to New Zealand in 1951, the same year that Ailish went to Brooklyn. And then I came here from New Zealand quite some time ago and my mother was homesick for sort of many, many years, so it was, 
it, it kind of really affected me personally and I thought actually it's such a universal story. So many people end up living somewhere other than home. But that was, so I thought about how you'd do it, but it was also, I knew it was going to cost a certain amount because it's set in two countries, two continents, and it's period. And I just thought it's a young, you know, it's going to be a young woman, and there aren't that many young actresses who could finance a film, what I thought was over twice what, I, what we ended up making it for. And it was just sort of figuring out how to do it. But always, and Amanda, my producing partner, and I, along with Nick, when we did an education, it was you want to cast the best people for the roles and, you know, you don't want to cast the wrong people just because they might, you know, get you a pre-sale in Japan or something. You just, you have to, you know, you have to be true to the material and that's the way I think you get the best results. But it was, you know, it was difficult. We ended up doing it as a three-way co-production and that's very complicated and time-consuming in itself. And we shot in three countries over, you know, eight weeks. So it was... um, shooting five-day weeks and, and shooting in countries that are much more unionised than the UK. So, but we got there and we, we got to make the film we wanted, which is the most important thing. Okay. Um, my question to John is, actually, in terms of the adaptation from book to screen, how much of the book influenced the look of the film? Because it, there's such a wonderful um, section, lots of different shots, I mean, from Coney Island, light and dark and stuff. So I just wanted you to tell me a bit more about how... Tell us a bit more about how the book influenced the look of the film and how much, what choices you made as a director as this, in the screenplay. The biggest influence from the book, um, I, I had read the book for pleasure and then, and then I read Nick's screenplay, you know, sort of three years later. Um, and that was the, the first I, I sort of heard of it. But, so I went back to the book and honestly, the, the biggest thing that we took from the book was somehow the tone of... The, a sort of sly wit, you know, like a gentle, ironic humour in all these situations, um, which could sit quite nicely along something very, very emotional. But I don't have any conscious sense that, that, the, that there were colours in the book or that the look of it influenced, because at that point when you begin working with your designer and your DP and costume designer, you're looking at primary research material from the period and trying to figure out the right look and the contrasting look between Ireland and Brooklyn. And then in Brooklyn, um, sort of little Ireland within Brooklyn, you know, what, what, I mean, what that is when you go to America and a certain idea of Irishness is sort of dialed up to near kitsch level, you know. Um, so that's, that, that was really more about trying to get all of that stuff right and then visually throwing it away, which is to never foreground... Um, scenery or costumes to just let it be and, and wanted to wear all the period stuff very lightly um, and, and make a film which is largely about faces actually you know and, and there are very few wide shots in the film I mean it's quite restricted I mean they're very carefully chosen that's partly budgetary and choosing where to spend our money because it was that it was that specific um, but I knew that, that you know these two and all the other actors were the, the, the way in which we would be able to um, conduct an, an audience's emotional relationship to the material. Thanks very much. It's a, a wonderful film. Um, my mom's from New York, uh, and I'm married to an Italian, so I have a lot of sympathy with the whole film. <laughs> um, you said that there were a lot of faces in it, and what I wanted to ask was Ms. Ronan about the faces and how that was directed because a lot of the story is told in your face 
and the first time is when the two of you are asked, one of you is asked to dance and the other isn't, but a huge number of plot points in the film are told without words and simply by your face, and I'm wondering how much that was scripted, how much it was improvised, and how much it was directed at the time. Uh, and thanks for a fantastic film. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> it's grand. Um, I mean, we, we didn't improvise. We, you know, I think we were all very much emotionally invested in this, and we had a brilliant script to work with. That was very clear. The, the journey, the emotional journey that she makes is very, very clear. And So I think if you um, truly invest in that, and you really do have a... Uh, an authentic kind of honest relationship with a story like that as for example John and I really did um, we, we did kind of follow our feeling I think John um, for us and I'm sure you feel the same way was incredibly in tune with every single emotional moment within just one scene alone you know really uh, was incredibly clear in his own head about uh, what we needed to convey from scene to scene and I think as much as I like speaking and working with text um, my favourite thing about work and acting is is doing it with your eyes or a gesture or something like that and there's so much that is so unsaid between Tony and Eilish because of the time, because of the um, the, the culture and the social restraints and all that stuff and, and that was great to play so we, we didn't improvise at all, is the, as Sisha said. And, you know, but it, it was um, a really tightly written script. And I was a bit of a pain in the ass with the actors about not breaking down any of the script or throwing an um, an um or an ah or a this or a that. And, and um, some like that more than others. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's sort of, it's, you know, that, 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 I know, I know, I know. But, you know, you're not bad in it. Um, but it sort of, it, it, it gave it, it sort of gave it, it did give it a period feeling as well, you know. It's nothing to do, yeah. I mean, I direct a lot of theatre. It's nothing to do with that. It's to do with a certain kind of classic style of filmmaking, you know, where... Um, uh, where what I'm doing, which is going, um, uh, isn't anything that makes it more authentic or more emotionally believable. So you're using the language to try and hit a target, yeah? And then in the, in the editing process, it's all about distillation and just whittling it away and whittling it away, not because the, 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 the dialogue doesn't ring true, it's because they're very clear about what they're doing and it's in their eyes. And there are a couple of shots which go on very long, like in the dance hall at the start, which has sort of often been commented upon, and, and that was simply a case, having said we didn't improvise, that was a case of just letting a shot run on, simply because what you're looking at on the monitor was so fucking interesting, you know, and there's no reason to shout cut. Usually you get what you get and you I shout cut, and I don't shoot overshoot. And there were a few moments, um, and I, it's partly the nature of the material. It's also partly because I think Saoirse could have been a great silent movie actress. I, I think it's a very particular gift, that, and that's amazing to point a camera at, you know. Thank you. Um, I really enjoyed the book and the movie as well. Um, and I don't want to ruin it for everyone who's going to read the book now, but there is a big difference at the end. And I was wondering how that is, um, who decides? Is that Nick alone that gets to decide that? Um, or the producers and Nick together? John, um, <laughs> it's not that big a difference. Yeah, what it is, it's, a, it's an extra beat. I don't want to give anything away, but it's a conclusion of something which was felt that if you have spent an hour and a half following this story, um, you know the way Cullen ends the novel is so exquisitely poised, and we have that shot in the scene where she's in the train and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and she thought no more the last line and closed her eyes and thought no more. That's in there. 
Um, and, but somehow, you know, Nick's great invention, for me, great gesture, was that scene on the deck where she meets the young girl and you kind of realise she's come full circle. And it just makes dramatic sense where if you ended it on the train and you didn't see what was going to happen with her going back, it's a very different tone of ending. And... Um, I don't know, when I was reading the novel, I was, I was terrified she was going to stay in Ireland. And I love Ireland. I, I, don't get me wrong, you know, but I kind of felt, you have to get out. You have to get out. You cannot, you know. Um, not, not everybody has to get out, don't get me wrong. No. But this is, I'm going to get in such trouble. I can feel my passport is going to be revoked tomorrow. But what I mean, what I, what I mean is that it did, I didn't think there was any harm in, in, in Nick's instinct, which was to tip our hat towards the gesture at the end in the way that prose, you know, kind of can walk around the character's dilemma and leave you poised perfectly with it. Film needs to make it, its mind up a little bit more. And... Um, I, I think it would have been a mistake to end it a beat earlier. I, I think that, that scene where you just finally see she's turned into a version of the young woman she met on the boat when she was going out, and there's a continual pattern of older women being kind to younger women, or older women being mean to younger women sometimes. That felt like it, you know, the whole thing is, is in pairs. It felt complete, so that's what. But if there's anything in your you're suggesting cynicism, or a happy <laughs> I'm not having any of that. It's not that. That, that expression that John used about having to make our minds up, um, I mean, that was something that I think came up really a few times when I was writing the script, that Colin, you know, the, the book is so beautifully poised, and um, there comes a point, I think, when you're writing a screenplay, when you have to, because you're so close in on the characters, you do have to make your mind up. And we sort of got her to make her mind up in the climactic scene with Nettles Kelly, um, when, when she's been rumbled and uh, Miss Kelly says, you know, we know all about you. Um, th- there was a sense in that scene, which, again, perhaps wasn't in the book, that then she makes her mind up, not just because she's been rumbled, but because she doesn't want to get sucked back into that place with those people. And... The line um, which John and I talked about, my name is Ailish Fiorello, and you know then that she's going to go back. So I I guess the scene on the boat was really a continuation of the decision that we'd made with that scene, and that if she'd made her mind up, then maybe it would be more gratifying to an audience to get her to where she was going, to have that scene on the boat that, that mirrored the beginning, and then just to get her... Brooklyn, which was where she was going anyway, to show that there was uh, some kind of, of decision involved. Um, yeah, I think if I could have done it, I would in the novel. You know, in other words, that in a novel you leave so much to the imagination. I mean, it struck me really forcibly in, this, in the Enescorti sequences in the film, which are taken from my town, that all I was trying to do was evoke them, and the reader could imagine them. But the reader could never see them in the way that I knew them. But all John had to do was point a camera at them and capture them, and there they were exactly as they are. And so that in a novel, you're constantly working with the reader's imagination. And, and you're, in, you're playing a game with the reader often about that you don't spell things out and the reader just fills the gaps in. So when you come to the end, if you spell it all out, you take something from the reader of a novel 
who's been with you all the way, filling gaps in. So if you bring it right through to the moment, but if I had been writing the screenplay of this and I'd had her on the train, I would have said, I know what I'm going to do now. There's a golden possibility now that as a novelist, I, I wouldn't dream of doing it, but there's a golden possibility that you could have that moment where he comes out of work and she's just opposite waiting for him and he sees her and hey, guys, <laughs> you know, I, would, I, would have, I would have given anything to have written this screenplay, but, I wouldn't have, but it can't be done in the novel, and that's the difference. It's a really wonderful film, thank you very much. Um, there's some great comedy parts in it, especially around the, the table with the girls and, and Judy Waters. Can you tell us how that came together with the casting and the actors that you chose there, and some of the uh, comedy things that I'm sure that uh, happened and didn't get into the film. <laughs> um, no pressure there. The casting. Julie, um, I knew had an Irish mother, right, which is a, it was a great start in life, as it were so, and it was a great... And I, I suspected she might know this woman, and actually she said she based it on an aunt of hers, but who's Irish as well, obviously. But, um, so, so, and with the other girls around that table, it was done very carefully and very lovingly, and we met a lot of uh, great young character actors in Dublin, and some of whom had a lot of experience, some of whom had no experience at all. And, you know, casting is like a mosaic. You know, you find each piece you find, it affects the piece that's next to it, and you're trying to build up a picture around, while all the time having this great template of the script, and then, uh, like, literally the Bible of the book to go back to. And um, Dolores, who is the girl from Cavan, who comes in late into it, is the big... She's the biggest difference from the novel, and I was really nervous. She's brilliant, I think, Jen. And, yeah. But it was the biggest departure, and I was like, oh, God, if, if, if this is a bum note, not because she was not up to it, but if it's just wrong, it'll be disastrous, because everybody else around the table <laughs> felt really right, you know? And... Um, but when we were shooting those scenes, we, we had, I think, two days to shoot all those scenes back to back. So they were eating yeah. Irish stew from <laughs> eight in the morning. <laughs> and, um, you know, so there wasn't a lot of, you know, uh, jollity that didn't make it into the film. You know, all the funny, <laughs> funny bits are. What, what I was, I was a bit down on them about was they were all pretending to eat, you know. And, and um, interestingly, Julie was giving them a masterclass in how to eat properly. And she was eating all the time. And they were all pretending to pick at carrots and things because they felt they had to shoot for another four hours, you know. So, um, yeah, it was... He all, uh, John also raised the question of... Well, no, he said to us that you needed to eat stew with a fork. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> there was no, me and don't. Jen. You eat it with a spoon. Yeah. It's a soup. <laughs> yeah. Well, you eat some bits with the fork, and then you get a spoon for the soup. Part. For the soup, but if yeah. you're eating carrots or something yeah. like that, and you want to get a bit of soup, like meat, okay. you put it on the spoon, can, and it goes to the stage. You wanted to me to eat the stew with the fork. All, the, all of it. So no. one side of the table wanted to eat it with a fork, and apparently that was the way they were raised. Oh, in cork. In cork. In cork. <laughs> Ah, yeah. No, 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 that's a court thing. It's not a court thing. It's not a court thing. No, Don't, hang on. Is. Can I say something? It's a court thing. The, the scene they're referring to was, this true, there was the closest to a meltdown that I've ever had. <laughs> full-on castrobold was over fucking forks and spoons. <laughs> and here's the thing. It was at the end of the second day of eating scenes, and your table manners were 
appalling. I have to say. <laughs> We came to actually have an announcement. And it's not because you were messing. It oh, was just two. like, it was all contemporary and it was all the cops were there and the place and it was all, you were grabbing that. And it was like, it was not the 50s. So we're in America. That was it. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was we're not in Ireland. We're not in Cork anymore, Tom. In Cork, we look at Cork. He's trying to say Cork, you eat your young. It's more than I do. Jeremy says, Cork, you eat your young. Just scrub all of this. this is <laughs> anyway, there you go. Make up your own minds, all right? Thank you for a very charming and moving film. Um, I was particularly interested in, in the clothing and the clothing choices, particularly with what's been said already about use of close-ups. The sort of focus I felt on clothing in the film and even comment by characters on what one another are wearing. Um, I particularly like to ask Scorsia... Um, to what extent you were involved in the uh, in the choice of clothes <laughs> yeah. uh, for Ailish, and of course with the development of Ailish's character in in New York, we see her clothing choice change, the choice yeah. of brighter colours and everything. So um, I'd be interested in any comment on clothing. Yeah, um, I mean, Odile knows what she's doing first and foremost, so nobody would ever tell her. Um, what costumes to choose or how to work. She's, she really is. She's incredible. And um, she kind of thought in the way of the actual character. She thought like Ailish, I think. It, can't, it seemed to come from a very emotional place with Odile. Um, so it was great. We had fitting after fitting after fitting. And um, like every other change that we see happen in this film, um, it's quite a gradual shift, I think, in her fashion. It reflects where she's at emotionally at the time. Um, and I think it's really only when we actually go back to Ireland after she's spent this chunk of time in New York and she's gotten married and she's fallen in love and she's going through a completely another type of grief altogether, separate from her homesickness. She's gone through all this and she's very much a young woman when she goes back and it's then when you're back in, you know, Enniscorthy that you notice that she's... Oh, sorry. She's got these... Um, you know, the colours are brighter and she's wearing sunglasses when she walks down the street. And I remember when I was a kid, I, I wouldn't dare wear sunglasses in Carlo because people would notice, you know. Um, that wasn't something that you did and it was a real kind of mark of confidence, I think. So for me, it, it actually, um, it was a great way to, to get that confidence for the second half of the film. I, I think it's so subtly done that you're right, it's only when you get back to Ireland mm. that you think, Oh, I see. She's like that now, but, yeah. it, but she's been getting very slowly like that all the way through, yeah. and and we just go along with it, and and it is that contrast with. Also, I didn't notice until I watched the film, but our <laughs> outfits complement each other an awful lot. The scene with us when we're kind of mapping out where we're going to have the house and stuff. Mm. I didn't realise that you had two different shades of green and I had two different shades of blue. And there were little things like that that I wouldn't have even noticed at the time that mm. she did that just give it a, sort, a very kind of gentle palette, you know? Yeah. I think even to this day in Enniscorthy, I mean, just now, if you were to walk along, through, along John Street to Court Street, in home from America, yeah. with a yellow dress and a pair of sunglasses, yeah. and walking along as though you own the place... People would turn and look at you. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, um, and I thank you all very much for your questions. And Fanola, Cole, Nick, Sisha, Emery, and John, thank you for your answers. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you.